Hello and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And you're going to see some familiar faces this week because we are talking about 1942's Casablanca, starring Humphrey Bogart, Ingrid Bergman, and Claude Rains, uh, as well as other people. We'll get into it. But before we get so into it, I know a lot of people, and a lot of them were uncredited. But before we get into it, get into it. How was your week? My week is really lovely. It's your uh, birthday. It's my birthday. Today. Right now, as and we're recording. I started the week, well, rather, I've had, it's, it, the weekend was amazing. We went to Legion of Honor in San Francisco. We did. And we saw, and it was a crazy day because we didn't know what we were doing. Nope, we had with. a different plan and when we, we left the house. This, <laughs> left the house and went on this big looping adventure around the city. Um, and we went to Legion of Honor, which I'd never been to before. I'd never been there either. And it was beautiful. It was beautiful. They have a bunch of, um, well, we'll start with the thinker is in their courtyard. Right. <laughs> they have a, a whole series, I think over a hundred, uh-huh. uh, sculptures by Rodin. Rodin. I'm no, like, no, I can't, I like, I the mortal it. enemy of Godzilla. That's no. a different Rodin. Rodin. Although that would have been really cool to Yes, <laughs> No. But and then they also have paintings by Rembrandt and Van Gogh. Uh, uh, El Greco. El Greco. Which I was amazed by. I had uh, never been that close to one. Um, Whistler. Sergeant Whistler. Uh, we saw some paintings by uh, uh, Surratt and by um, per- Maxwell Parrish. Maxwell Parrish was there, Parrish was there people, as well, which is... is out of sort of uh, as a as a response piece to mm-hmm. some other pieces that were there, I think. But there was just amazing art and furniture and entire rec- recreations of rooms. Yeah. Um, and just every it was really lovely. It was really lo- but especially El Groco and Goya are my two favorite painters, and to actually see an El Greco that close, um. I wasn't expecting it at all, so it was kind of, it was breathtaking. It really was. I think I'd only been more surprised had I seen the actual John the Baptist. However, yes, maybe someday. Not today. Yes. So they they specialize in Renaissance uh, art there. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of um, 15th, 16th, 17th century painting. Sorry, right. I had the 1500s, 1600s. Um, but they go all the way through uh, contemporary a... stuff. There was Candy Weil, right. uh, Wiley, um, uh, a couple of things in the downstairs um, paper arts area. Right. Um, <clears throat> they have an illustrated books section. Um, and then and really old. There was some beautiful... Oh, and then an edge hall of antiquities. Right. Yes, like Greek and Roman. Right, and Egyptian. And Egyptian, yes. Art. It was amazing. I uh, I had lunch today with um, with my good friend and listener, Alan Dillard. <laughs> and we talked about how encouraging it was for me to see all a lot of young people going yeah. through this museum. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and just being amazed. And I'm also taking some young friends later this week, Lord willing, to actually go to the local Oak Museum, which has a really good collection. It does. And uh, just you're going for Friday night, right? For Friday night specials, and then maybe Saturday, seeing uh, another friend of ours. 
at the uh, San Francisco... Or the Berkeley. It, yeah, but it's for the San Francisco right. Book Festival, or Book book Arts Fair. But how was your week? It was good. I was the same as yours. Uh-huh. I'm glad that you had such a good day on Saturday. Where did we go get a drink? I'm sorry? Where did we get the drinks afterwards? The... Oh, we went to Moss Beach Distillery. Oh, Moss Beach Distillery. I was trying to we remember. went to the Moss Beach Distillery where there's a ghost. We did not. I did not see a ghost. There, I did not see a ghost either. Of course, either. it could be that the I blue did see lady. a ghost and wasn't aware of it. You had a drink called the Blue Lady. Right, That's so as I close as we got to her. I did not have her. a ghost, but I did have a spirit. Yes. Correct. And, yeah, we drove down the, the coast and had... Yes. Food at one of our, the places that we've known about for a long time, a long time and have not ever been. Yeah. And then, um, and then we drove home. Yes, it was a really lovely. And day. then we were exhausted. Yes. And I slept so hard on Saturday night. Uh, but yeah, it was really good. I'd never, like I said, I'd never been to that um, museum either. And when we went to the De Young mm-hmm. uh, for my birthday at the beginning of the month. Um, I wanted to go to both, but one is one is plenty for a day. Right. It, it gets overwhelming, especially between that particular exhibit that we went to go see uh, on your birthday. I don't think I could have taken in everything that I did this time. Right. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was it was a lovely, lovely day. The Bay Area Book Festival is what I'm trying to say. Mm. So it is in Berkeley and in in San Francisco this weekend. Uh, the weekend of Cinco de Mayo. Yes. The 5th of May. All right. You want to talk Viva about this Mexico. movie? Yes. I want to start. You're going you're gonna to lead us through the discussion, but I'm going to sta- start by saying, because I was not looking forward to this watch, if everyone remembers. Mm. And it was weird, because we literally just watched Notorious, wherein Claude Rains and Ingrid Bergman have a different kind of relationship. <laughs> and... This uh, was released uh, four years earlier, I believe. Notorious is 46. And this is 1942. Uh, this takes place in 1942. It was released in 1942. They finished filming it in like the beginning of August and released it at the end of August. It's wild when there's not CGI mm-hmm. how quick post-production can be. Well, when you had a factory, essentially. When you had yes, a group that's of people... True. Who were just dedicated going in towards finishing eight hours a day, right. every day, editing whatever job. it was that they were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was I was unexcited about this film um, because I didn't really remember it from my first watch. Well, my second watch, my first watch, I did fall asleep as soon as the credits started, and then I woke up as the credits ended, rolled at the end. So I did sleep through it the first time I tried to watch it, and then um, I didn't remember my second watch. So I was like, I'm going to think this is boring, and I'm not going to like it, you guys. I was wrong, and I am sorry. This movie is really, really good. <laughs> like, everybody loves it. There's a reason. Right. It's because it's really, really good. <laughs> okay. well, it reminds me a lot of the first time I saw Citizen Kane. Yeah, And I right. was like, what is so great about this movie? And then you're like, damn. Oh, like everything. Right. I got you. That's amazing. Like, it's a legitimately good movie uh so yeah so let's start in casablanca december of 1941 here's what you never know when in december pre or post pearl harbor 
I feel like it would matter, but they don't talk about it, and I think that's wild. And I think that that's maybe the same thing where stuff for four years after 9-11 just didn't yeah. talk about 9-11. They were like, we can't even... Yeah. It, it was too horrific, and we can't talk about it. And I feel like the same thing here, but like... When they say it's December of 1941, I'm like, December what? Like, it kind of matters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but in Casablanca, I guess, fundamentally, no, the fuck it doesn't. No. It they're, is. They're dealing with a different set of issues from a different axis power. Right. We're talking about Casablanca, which is in northern Africa. It's in Morocco, yeah. It is a, it is a colony, mm-hmm. basically, of France. But so it qualifies as France, but it is unoccupied, whereas France is currently fully occupied by the Germans, and, the and they Vichy refer to it as charge. Vichy. The, they right. keep saying Berlin and then correcting, correcting themselves, themselves to Vichy, right? Vichy is the puppet government right. that has been they, in, they had a, put uh, in place a policy in of not only capitulating to the Nazis, but cooperating with them. Well, so, because they were installed right. by the Germans, so yeah. <laughs> they were doing these... The, a lot of really horrible things happened under that government. Yeah. Um, and no one speaks about the Vichy with any kind of reverence. No. They're just like, uh, that's who's in charge. But they are still unoccupied. So when Germans come here, they're not automatically in charge. No. But like tensions are... Well, the Germans at this time wanted to be in charge yeah, literally thing. everywhere. Yeah. And there's an interesting scene about that. Like, are you one of those people who can't picture Germans in their beloved Paris? And Rick is like, I don't know. I was never so partial to Paris, which is a lie. Um, then he's like, well, can you picture us in London or your beloved New York? And he's like, Ask me when you get there, <laughs> which is the best response because, like, f- fucking no, but also ask me when you get there. He follows that with a line about how there are parts of New York that you don't want to be in. Yeah, right. Like, I'd like, like to see it. you try. Mm, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. So we're in 1941. We're in Casablanca, which is in. Africa. Mm-hmm. It is a stopping point. You see, you get this all in the in the credits. Actually, it's a st- it's a waypoint for people to get to Portugal, to Lisbon, Portugal, which is a waypoint to get out of Europe. Right. So there are refugees here, waiting to get papers to get on the one flight a day out of Casablanca. A night. It's at night. Um, out to Lisbon. Uh, to try and get either to stay in Lisbon, but typically then they're going to go further. They're going to go off to right. America or maybe down to South America, depending on who they are leaving. They want to get out of the reach of the, the war, the, the, reach right. of the Nazis, at right. least for the time being. And the Nazis at this point in the war, at least in Europe, seem to be unstoppable. Mm-hmm. They're rolling through countries. Yeah. And this is, this is a tipping point, right? Mm-hmm. Because December of 1941, as... We'll all remember forever, because it's a day that'll live in infamy. Pearl Harbor is attacked in America, finally gets Mm. off her ass and gets into this war. Right. She was trying real hard to sit this one out. Yes, which despite what was going on with Poland, Poland you're coming. Right, France and other countries that really needed help 
Um, and this is... And I wonder, I always wonder about this, and uh-huh. I, I don't know. I, my history is... I have good history teachers, but mm. what stayed with me is... Mm. But when you have Japan as an Axis power with Germany, right? To to link up, they either have to go through America right. or they have to go through China. And who did the math that America was the better bet? I like I, I yes. I'm just very curious because that's I mean they they're gonna go, if you're gonna do global domination mm-hmm. you gotta go through one of these two. Um, and apparently the calculation was it's America we gotta go through America. Uh, it turns out that was a good choice for the world, <laughs> but um, yeah so. This is the turning point. Right now in the war, everybody just presumes that Germany is going to take it as far as they can, right? But America this month is getting in, Mm -hmm. and that switches it eventually, after I think a year or so, sort of back onto the Allied powers. Um, But right here, yeah, it's just a matter of you can live in Casablanca, you can go to Portugal, you can go to America, but you're not going to probably go back to Brussels or Czechoslovakia or Paris right. <laughs> at this point because they are, unless you are a Nazi and like Nazis, and then by all means, all of those places are available to you. Uh, but if you are a Jew, if you are a freedom fighter, if you're a gypsy, so to speak, if again, you are a Catholic, yes. if you are gay, if you are queer of any kind, uh, fleeing fleeing is really your option. So that's where we're at. We're in Casablanca. We're oh, at a place called Rick's Café American. So Rick is an expatriate American. Yes. He is an interesting character in that he has sort of settled here. And in the beginning of the story, we don't know why. We don't. Uh, he settled here with Sam, the piano player yes. at his bar. And um, he shares this interesting relationship with him, especially considering the time. This is a white man and a black man. Yes. Yes, Sam is black. Rick is a Humphrey Bogart. Right. <laughs> so, a white man. <laughs> so they have an interesting relationship dynamic in that he looks on this guy as almost like a partner. Yeah. And you don't... And there's some really nice scenes between them later on. There's some... The the first, yes, in the flashback, uh-huh. but the first scene that you get of them really sets up that relationship nicely because what we see is Sydney Greenstreet uh-huh. comes in as the owner of mm-hmm. a rival place, the Blue a place called the Blue Parrot, uh, and he comes in and he wants to buy Sam, basically, and and Rick is like, I'm not in the habit of selling people, so <laughs> let's go have a conversation with him, um, which I like. First of all, you just automatically see how these two view right. employees <laughs> right right off the bat, and uh, and Rick goes, Hey, he wants to, he wants you to go work for him. Like he presents it actually as a positive thing. Right. He doesn't say this dude came and offered to buy you from me. <laughs> he says he wants you to have a job. Like, he wants to offer you a job. So he's like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> he goes, uh, he'll double my, he'll double what I pay you. And he goes, 
not still good. Because <laughs> I don't have no time to spend the money <laughs> that I get that from I get. you, that I make right. from you, right? Which means he's being taken care of, right? Yeah, exactly. And also, yeah, they're friends. They're and they know where each of them has come from. Turns out, both of them came from Paris, which is weird because both of them are American. Right. <laughs> He's Rick is a guy who I think at this point one of the reasons why this film was so popular, especially at the time, was like we were talking about. America was very reluctant to get into this war. Yeah, and so is Rick. Yeah, yeah. He's, Rick doesn't. He's a person. He's who been is, in wars before. Right. He's he's picked sides before. Always the underdog side. Right. Uh, but he's tired. He's tired, he's and he's tired. trying to stay pragmatic. And he has lost the love of his life, which yeah. is something that's unfortunately going to come back to yeah. him. Um, so he's what we're getting is a lot of is this is a swirl of activity, and yeah. it's really, oh, and we do see he's got a woman that he has hmm. been seeing, and she wants way more than he wants to give her, and right. she is drunkenly making a fool of herself. She does it in two separate occasions. Right. Um, so you see that he is disengaged yes, from that's the best word romance for at this point. Everyone here wants papers to get, as he said, to get someplace outside of... Yeah. Specific, they just want to get to Lisbon and then they'll figure it out. Right. But they got to get out of here. And the person who signs those papers, one Claude Rains... Who is an interesting character, and probably he's probably the most problematic character in many ways. Oh yeah, he's he, it's interesting because so he plays Captain Renault, mm-hmm. who on the screen when he's on the screen, uh-huh. you are with him. He is funny, right? When you pull back. Just an inch and a half. (laughs) (laughs) Like, if you don't even have to go that far. Like, you don't even have to stand all the way up to get the the broad view. He is sexually exploiting young women for papers. He sees this as dating. He does. He he does. He does. You've broken up one of my little romances. It's like, it's not a romance. It's not a romance. Because women are with you because you're going to sign their papers. You're a sex criminal. And you're getting them out of the country. Mm -hmm. And they're desperate. Right. Uh... And we see him foil uh, one uh, one situation where the the woman's young man, who she is married to, mm-hmm. is gambling at the roulette tables because he does have a gambling hall in the back mm-hmm. of the cafe, uh, gambling at the roulette tables to make the money that they need for the tickets. And he's losing badly, and Rick turns the game for him. Right. Has him bet on a thing. He wins. He says, do it again. Do it again. He he hasn't won three times. Cash that out. Get the fuck out. <laughs> and yes, don't come back. This is because the wife had talked to Rick yeah. and said in very kind of careful terms, um, does Mr. Renault you know, will will he do? Will he comply with what he says? He yeah. Will he do? Promises? Will he keep his promises? And, and Rick says yes. Yeah, he does because he will. Right. But he also sees what this is going to do to this family, this this couple. Important because later on we learn. Later on, we learn that this is a, a mirrors the relationship with Elsa. Yes. Because very early on in this film, a situation is set up, and this is Peter Laurie. Yeah. Being Peter Laurie. 
Peter Lorre is so good in this scene for, or in this movie for two scenes or something like that. There were two Nazi gentlemen, no, Nazis, they're not Nazis, who were killed for their letters of transit that they carried. Letters of transit. They were killed on the train on the way to Casablanca. Two German couriers. And their papers will allow the bearers to travel freely around German-occupied Europe and neutral Portugal. And they're right? they're signed by, like, Hitler himself or something. Like, I mean, somebody that high up. Like, they are right. incontrovertible papers. You cannot, yes, you can't. Uh, and they're blank. They can't so you be can questioned. write in. Yeah, you can't even question them. Right. Like, that's how it's like high up it is. It's Three Musketeers. It's, like, signed by the Cardinal. No, no, you can't. You can't, yeah. when it turned out that with the letter that winds up freeing the man who... Doesn't matter. Uh, ...kills the Cardinal's right hand. No, you can't, because the Cardinal signed it. Yep. And he can't even revoke yep. it. So Peter Lorre comes in, talks to Rick a little, and he's trying to get him... To, or he gets him to hold on to these letters of transit. Yes, because they don't like each other. Right. But they understand each other. Yeah, and that's really the way that he deals with a lot of people. Yeah. He doesn't necessarily like them, but he understands. He just he he. It's important to. He sits in a state of open mindedness. Exactly. There we go. He is. He just. He understands. He's been through enough mm-hmm. that he understands that sometimes there's no good choice. Right. There's no. There's no altruistic choice. There's no, sometimes there's just the choices that you have and you have to make. And one. it's not a law and order situation. This is a man who used to run uh, run guns for Spain. He, he went. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the thing is that he knows how to give and take with people who are essentially criminals yeah. for the greater good, but he doesn't see a greater good. He sees no. himself as completely neutral. Well, but, as neutral as possible. I think he also understands <clears throat> that there is no completely neutral. Right. But his his what he says almost as much as here's looking at you, kid, right. is I don't stick my neck out for nobody. Right. I'm the only cause I'm interested in. Yeah. Is one of his lines. Um and he's upfront about it and funny about it. Right. Like, he makes it a joke, but he makes it a joke as he's telling you, fucking no, I'm not going to do the thing right. that you want me to do. And then he sticks his neck out and, you know, two grand on the roulette table to this kid, cash out and don't come back. And then he asks the dealer, how are we doing tonight? And he's like, I thought we were doing two grand better. <laughs> he has a good relationship with all of his employees. I, I mean, they get like, paid. There's it a hierarchy. Like I mean, there's, there's like Sam yes. and there's the other people. Yeah, and they, uh-huh. and, and, but you can tell that he pays those people right. well. Like, and treats them like people. Yes. Because there's a, the, the bartender. And yeah. also the waiter who form a kind of an ongoing kind of uh, Greek chorus in the film. Yes. Yeah. About what's going on because they know more than Rick is letting them on. And between them and Sam, who's again on a different level with yes. them, but he still yeah. is communicating with them like mm, something's going on here, particularly when uh, this guy, Ugarte, who's played by um, uh, Peter Laurie, yeah. gives him the letters of transit. All yes. right. He wants to sell them. He says, yeah. "Don't leave them here overnight, though. Like, yeah. come back for them tonight." And 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 Ugarte agrees to that. But then, so Ugarte gets killed almost right away. Well, he is arrested, right? And then we find out that he is killed in in prison, right? And you have to know, he is the only he is a, he is one of a few people, but he is the most prominent person doing business direct business against Renault. Mm-hmm. 
who is in the business of selling. Right. Papers his, of transit. Yeah, papers of transit papers. Because what is required above everything else is his signature. His signature is on every piece of paper. Right. So he'll take bribes for that. Absolutely, he will do that. So Lord, Peter Lorre's character is in direct competition with him. But also, and so he probably... Um, il- uh, not illustrates, but um, what's the word I want? Like facilitates. Okay. Ugarte's death. I understand. Yeah. Sorry, I oh, had so, a word finding difficulty. So that same evening, because this is one of those. This evenings. all does take place over like three days, right, or something like that. It's, it's a very, very short. short period of time. Uh, a woman walks into the bar. Right. Uh, a woman and her husband. Uh, what's the line that he has of all the gin joints in the world? All the gin joints in all the world. She walks into mine. Well, he doesn't know that yet. She goes up to... Uh, she's there with her husband. She asks about the guy, or the boy, as she says, unfortunately, in the beginning, uh, who's playing the, the, the piano. Yeah. Uh, no, she says, uh, send the piano player over right, to me. She, but she does use that oh, okay. term in the beginning, and it was like, oh, but then... I think she was doing that so that she would not give on the fact that she knew him. Uh, maybe. And because she doesn't treat him in any way. Yeah. Uh, as an inferior or anything. Well, well, we know, too, that these papers are specifically for a person who is very wanted by the... Like, mm-hmm. he, he plans to sell them for a great deal of money. Like, enough money. Like, this is my last score right. amount of money to someone who is... Very, very wanted by the Germans. Mm-hmm. We don't know who exactly yet. And his woman, his wife, he says. Right. And she, he's like, well, given the opportunity, he'll just take a single set of papers and leave the woman behind. And I believe Claude Rains, but I, I, I don't know if Lori says it, but Claude Rains definitely says, nah, he won't leave her. I've seen her. <laughs> Which is very funny given... Right their relationship in the, in the last days. time we right. saw them, yeah. Um, uh, so we know that someone is coming in looking for, like, there's a buyer for this thing that he has. And that's that who was supposed to yes. meet, and it turns out to yeah. be Victor Laszlo, who is a Czechoslovakian resistance leader, Yeah, uh, who had done a tremendous amount of work for uh, the overthrow of the Nazis, which did not work. He was constantly fleeing. And he'd nearly been caught, and then later on, actually caught. Yeah, he and then he he was in a concentration camp for over a year. Right. And then 18 he, months, I believe, and then he broke out. Right. He was assumed to be dead. Yes. And that's important to remember for later. Yes. But um, Victor Laszlo walks in with his wife, and uh, she asks Sam to play as time goes by. And at first he resists, and then he realizes who's asking him. And he, Sam yeah, he comes in and he's like, like, I thought I told you none ever. Right. And Sam is like, I can't play it. And she's like, come on, please. And then she blinks her watery eyes, blink, blink, blink. And no one can ever no, resist Andrew Bergman's like, beautiful watery eyes. I was doing eyes. this with my knuckles and cracking going, I'll play. I'm like, wait. No. I literally was she's like, <laughs> I asked you, I think, two scenes into this. I was like, hey, are our eyes ever like not on the verge of tears? And you said, no. No, that, that's basically <laughs> that's what she just, does. That is her, her superpower, actually. That is her her default setting, just this close to, to climb. And she says, play it, Sam, for all time's sake. She doesn't mm-hmm. say play it again, Sam. Yeah. 
He um, starts playing the song. Yes. Uh, and then Rick comes down. Right. Mad. And then it turns out he is introduced to Victor Laszlo and Elsa. Elsa. And Laszlo. Elsa, his right. wife. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> And things begin to fall together. And then you mind. hear, then they say, oh, join us for a glass of, uh, join us for a drink. Mm-hmm. And we have heard, at this point, we're 15 minutes into the movie, and we've right. heard five times he doesn't, he doesn't drink, drink with patrons. Nope. And he's like, yep, I will do that. And he pulls up a chair, and you're like, uh-oh, shit is different. <laughs> this is different. Now, we get introduced um, earlier in the film to... Let's see, what is the name of the uh, German officer? Strasser. Major Heinrich Strasser. Heinrich Strasser. Uh, which I'm doing that completely wrong. Yep. Um, sorry, Germans. But, yes. but not sorry, Nazis. We, we have German speakers in our audience as well. And yes, I will get a phone call about mm. how I said that. Um, and he's played by Conrad Veit. Veit. Veit, I believe. Uh, Conrad Veit is a wonderfully sinister man. He, it's interesting because one of the things that Wikipedia mm-hmm. talks about on this on the of this is most of the people on the screen in this film are not American. Yeah. Like all of our main characters Bogart's the only one. Sam is American. Mm-hmm. And one other person. Everybody else right. is from somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. And that includes this this actor. And he's a he's a really remarkable actor for playing. I remember seeing him play Gwynplaine in the silent film adaptation of The Man Who Laughs, and that's important because that uh, was the film that apparently Christopher Lee saw as a kid and just said, "That's what I want to do." That kind of and he does a very good kind of job of that presence, not yeah. even having to say much. And on top of that, uh, his performance as Gwynplaine, who has had a smile carved into his face. Okay. The inspiration for the Joker. For the Joker, indeed. In the Batman comic books. So I'm seeing, too, mm-hmm. that he was a refugee German actor who fled the Nazis with his Jewish wife. Mm-hmm. So he is not Jewish, but he loves the Jewish people. Um, and then he frequently, because Welcome to America, played Nazis in, in American films, because you mm-hmm. have a German accent, right. and you're very scary looking, sir. Uh, and he got paid more than anyone else in the cast. Yeah, remember, there was a period of time when... A star like Humphrey Bogart was part of was a contract player. He, uh, Ingrid Bergman had only done a couple of films, mostly in her native country. Um, so there was a, a lot of these actors really owe their success to this film to as this their film. breakout Interesting. movie. Yeah, yeah. So and um, and he's come down because they're mad. They they know that those papers are. Th- right. They know what these Two Germans had. And the, their papers were on them. <laughs> so. And Victor Laszlo is in town with and, his yep, wife. Yep. So they know the connection's going to be made here. And oh, I'm like, as I'm watching, I'm like, what is stopping them from just straight marking this man? I think that at the time, the Germans did not want to... They still were not in charge of... They were still under the, we're... we're we are rational people right. who are interacting with international parties, we will take you over, but if we haven't taken you over yet, then we're going to offer you a modicum of respect, I guess. 
I believe that they just had believed that they had not firmly taken over uh, this part of the French Empire mm-hmm. as of yet, and didn't feel like they could act on it. But they're constantly pressuring Renault, pressuring Renault to do something. To do something, and yeah. so as much as as uh, Victor Laszlo is not hiding the fact that he's there, or even really hiding the reason why he's there. Uh, he's sitting here in, at Rick's Cafe. Everybody goes to Rick's. That's the name of the, the, the play. Uh, yes. Yeah. He's, uh, he's out there, and he's putting out there, well, I need to find out where these papers are. Yeah. And I need to get us out of the country so that I can go on fighting the cause. So um, Strasser is pressuring Renault into doing finding some pretext for arresting him. Right. And they do call him in for questioning at one point, but there's nothing to hold him on. Right. Because he's just passing through the country. He has nothing that... He, yeah, they can really. Yeah, you you want to arrest me for breaking out of a concentration camp? I, right. That's not gonna no. <laughs> like that's that not work. <laughs> Anyhow, so we learned that Rick had had a relationship with Ilsa when they were in Paris. Paris, just just before the Paris occupation. Right, like. In the weeks or months leading up to the Paris occupation, they were going to. They, we get told in flashback that Rick and there's a really neat trick. There's a in one of the documentary films I saw on the making of this movie, um, and it's Caleb Deschanel. As a matter of fact, I think. Oh, talking nice. About it. Okay. He's talking about how his admiration for the film comes from a scene where Bogart is at the just sitting at a table next to Sam's piano and he's drinking, and the camera operator gets very close to him and then just comes to a stop and then suddenly dollies in and it's almost as if what's being in, we're being informed of is okay take a deep breath because we're going to go into why he's this way yeah and I thought and he said that was a really amazing way of telling the story using the camera movement not dialogue and this film is really rich in dialogue it's very much like if you've never um, if you've never seen Hamlet and you watch it for the first time and there's so many lines that are already familiar to you because they're just a part of conversation. Yeah. It's like that. But we learned that Rick and Elsa were deeply in love when they yeah. were in Paris. Yep. Um, they had to flee Paris. Because, and the three of them, the right. two of them and Sam, right. were planning on fleeing together. They were all going to come down to Casablanca together. Right. And he wants to marry her. And right. she's like, I can't think that far ahead, <laughs> basically. And so they meet, they're supposed to meet at the train station. Yes. They meet, but she hands him a letter, or a letter is handed to him. A letter is handed to him. She cannot meet him now. She cannot be with him ever. And, and she's sorry, and she loves him. And then the, the, rain. It, the yes. rain takes out the, le- the ink. It's really, that's really effective. Because it's almost as if it's his tears, but he's not going to cry. No, nope. just stunned. But you do see the look on him. He right. just shuts down. Right. He's like, and uh, that's a wrap on love. That's just yeah. <laughs> love has left the building, and I'm going to just be alone forever. <laughs> and Sam winds up rescuing him essentially because they're literally he almost misses the train. There like are he tanks just, yeah. rolling in the outskirts of the city. And yeah, there, there's a couple of scenes where they're. Listening to the people who like the they're almost like criers right. of the German army going, they're gonna be here in three days. Right. <laughs> yeah, but um, 
Sam literally just like bundles him up onto the train and gets him out of there. Gets him out of there. Just saves his life. Because he just like stops caring. Right. He just is like, I don't care now what yeah, happens he's to me. he's catatonic for a yeah. minute. It just floors him. Yeah. And so that's the reason why he no longer seems to um, connect. However, he is beginning to come to life a little bit. There's another wonderful scene where um, he's where he has a conversation with Victor Laszlo, who, being aware that Rick probably knows where these letters are trying yeah, to Yeah, because are. Ferrari, Sidney mm. Greenstreet character from the Blue Parrot, is like, Rick's got him. And Rick is out one day, uh, the next day, I mm. believe, Well, Renault goes to his cafe and trashes the place right. looking for the letters. Um, where I assume no, no, no. We we find out where he puts them. Yes, <laughs> he, we do. <laughs> he hides. He had hid them in Sam's uh, piano. And which but they're not. Like, well, that that serves me right for not you know, not being musical. Right. Yeah. Um, and he is out talking to, well, no, or or talking to. Um, I'm sorry. His name is Ferrari, Signor Ferrari, um, the the Green Street's character. Uh, and then he does go back to his place. But then later, yeah, Laszlo is looking around for, well, Ugarte or anybody who knows what Ugarte, because he, he knows that Ugarte didn't have mm-hmm. the letters on him when he went to the jail. Right. Well, at least as far as Renault will tell him. Because I don't know that he'd be forthcoming with that information to Laszlo, maybe to Strasser. But um, then... Um, yeah, he's like, yeah, Rick's got him. So, yeah, he goes and talks to Rick and says, hey, I hear you might have something and I'm looking for. While this is happening, there is a the woman who had been with Rick earlier, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. She is now cozying up to a German soldier. Yes. She comes in with a German soldier. And the German soldiers are coming into Rick's right. and drinking. They're drinking, and they start singing patriotic German songs. Yep, which Laszlo does not truck. And he orders the band, uh, house band, to play, I can't pronounce it properly, the Marseillaise? I don't know. It's a it's a Yay France song. Yes. <laughs> yeah. They, they're singing direct... Uh, Mm -hmm. and he asks the band to play yeah that's a lot of letters that I feel like the French are going to leave out La Marseille yes which is actually really very patriotic song yeah and when he does that and the band leader is like Rick am I going to start some shit and Rick's like yeah because I can't I'm not I'm not when it's in his face, he can't avoid it any longer. Yes, and he's he's neutral to the point, mm-hmm. uh, to a point. And the point that point is, when my neutrality becomes complicity, I won't do it anymore. Right, exactly. That's the best way to. Yeah, that's the best way to put it. Is just he knows if he I lets know. them just do right. this, he he might as well just put a if Nazi thing neutral, on his arm. This person's going to take. They don't give you an inch. They don't. No. Nope. They won't tolerate the existence of anybody else. Yeah. Rick's thing is, everyone's okay. Everyone's and I'm Rick's. cool with everybody. It doesn't matter what you are. You could be German. Yeah. You could be Russian. You could be Algerian. You could be anything. Anything. And yeah. everyone's okay here. You could be black. Right. His best friend is black. Is black. And, uh, and again, that whole scene when he's leaving France, it's like this guy saved his life. Yeah. So he's really loyal to him. 
And so it doesn't matter, but when it's when you look at oh if if Strasser's world view prevails, then dead, dead, all dead, of dead, this is dead, gone, dead, yeah. Right? Yeah. Including Yeah, Wick's Wick's not right. He might get go along to get along with Nazis who are literally sitting there in his uh-huh. in his face, but he also understands that this is fundamentally not where we want to end up. Yes, I will make it work if that's where we end up. Right. But I'm not going to help it because no. the people that I care about will that, be in danger. Be all, of them. all of them would be gone. All of them would be gone. The whole yeah. world that he made in terms of everyone just being okay with everyone else—that's all. That's gone. gone. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, he's neutral up to the point where neutrality is complicit, and he won't. He does not do that because he is fundamentally a good person. Right. He's just a hurt person. He just is hurt. So he loves her so much. When that happens, Strasser is really angry because he realizes that even in this position where Laszlo is completely he's not doesn't have his printing press, he's not printing flyers like he was in yeah. Czechoslovakia. Even then, he's able to inspire people who know his past yep. to be able to stand up, and he doesn't want any kind of resistance. Right. But even, even not even just that, not mm. even it was Laszlo, and it is Laszlo that right. rouses them all. But what Laszlo sort of symbolizes beyond that is only one person has to stand up and and get the band to start. Right. And then everybody co- coalesces behind that. Yeah. But it's hard to be the person that stands up. And Lasso's always going to be the person that stands up. He's going to take the hit the way that Rick isn't willing to take the hit. Correct. And Lasso had had gone to Rick and said, hey, you got some papers. And he's like, won't sell them to you because ask your wife. So then later... Because he is kind of a petty bitch for a little while. But the thing is that she did really ditch him without explanation. Yes, but we get an explanation eventually. The next scene is, the next big scene is Ilsa coming to him at night and explaining that she thought Laszlo was dead. And this is an interesting scene for two reasons. One, Mm -hmm. you see Ilsa and Laszlo in their room together and you can tell that they do love each other. They get along very well. Um, like they clearly care about what the other one cares about, um, and he Laszlo's going to go to a resistance meeting because mm-hmm. he just can't fucking help himself, <laughs> right? right? A meeting that he knows is is illegal, right? And a meeting that will get him arrested and maybe killed if he is caught at, and he is going to go. And you know who's going to go with him? The waiter from Rick. Right. So. Like, so she doesn't love that he's going to do this, but she's like, I mean, this is who you are. This is who I married. I can't be mad at it. So, good. Mm-hmm. That's nice to see in a person, because too often we we get the, well, that's who you were when I married you, but I hate it. Stop. <laughs> Which is some bullshit. Um, but then she takes his his departure as a time to go to wreck and be like, right. hey, man. Now, they had a conversation where he asks her outright, is there something you want to talk, tell me, is there anything you want About to tell me? About your time in Paris. And she's like, no, there no. is not. And it's, he, she's not lying because she just does not want to tell, I don't want to have to explain this to you. I don't want to explain this to you. I have a feeling that you know. Right. I do not want to, Um, I don't want to solidify that in your brain. Right. I don't want to hurt you. Yeah. Because fundamentally, and what we're going to find out like in the next five minutes is, I thought you were dead. Right. They informed me that you were dead. Right. And I was trying to continue a life. Yeah. 
And even and this makes like Ingrid Bergman is able to play these parts, and I it's don't because her eyes right, never stop watering. I don't know that there is another actress from this period who could do this kind of thing, because as we see later in Natoya, she's playing a woman. Yes, yeah, right, right. This is another movie wherein Ingrid Bergman has fucked everybody. Well, not everybody. we don't have to get. It, it, mm. I'm not. Making a judgment, I'm saying she has had sex with all of right. the main characters and, and in these movies. And when you look at other actresses and other stories in this period, they're not as mature an adult as this. I remember our good friend um, Liza, when she first saw this movie, she comes up to me in this. You know, uh, we were working in the city at the time. Okay. And she comes up to me and she goes, "I just saw Casablanca," and I said, "Really? Did you like it?" And she's like, "I really liked it." There was, and she went over that scene with Laszlo and and. Uh, and Ilsa. And it's like, she goes, that was amazing because it was such a mature conversation just, for they, two people these are, these are These are adults. Adult people right. in, a, in, in a relationship in a world where, to me at least, you have to just be mature. You have right. to understand. These are extraordinary times. Mm-hmm. We are living in extraordinary times, and we're just trying to live the best life we can live. Like he even gives her the up by saying, "I can understand how terrible loneliness is." Yeah, or I understand how terrible it is. It's you, she. He understands exactly what happened between her and Rick. Yeah, she doesn't want to talk about it, and as it turns out, when she later talks to Rick about it, she's like, "Okay." And he, at first, is really angry with her. Yeah. And he says things that he regrets almost instantly. Almost instantly. And yeah. so... Because he doesn't know right. what happened. He uh, he knows that she's married to him now. We find out, of course, that he was she was married to him then. She was married to him then. She was under the impression that he was dead. Uh-huh. She meets him. Not she, just under the impression. Right. Had been told. Right. Well, yes. Under the, well, again, when I say you know under what the I mean? impression, it's not just like, oh, that. well, he yeah. he went into a concentration camp. That's That yeah. must be a wrap for it. They told her yeah, he died. He'd been died. trying to escape. <laughs> yes. And so she goes on with her life. She meets Rick. And falls very deeply in love with him. Uh, yes. And that's not fake. There's nothing no, fake there's nothing about fake that. No, there's nothing fake about that. And the thing is that What's interesting about this adult relationship in this film, she loves her husband, but she loves him She loves him for completely different reasons. Yeah, they, yes, they have very different... It's like, I she met him when admires I was young. him. She, he opened up a world for me. He yeah. showed me all these other people. But then there's this other person that I'm able to love passionately because yeah. we're alike and we yeah. are so much... You know, that's, yeah. The other thing that I like about that relationship and uh-huh. that maturity that you almost never see in contemporary stuff about widows or Uh widowers. There has to be, for whatever reason, some sort of putting down of the deceased spouse so you can get on with your life, which seems so deeply fucked up to me. Like, no, that person is dead. You still have 40 to 60 years ahead of you. Yeah, right. If that person did love you in life, they would want you to not be lonely forever, right? Yeah. And the fact that, like, we constantly are like, well, she found out he was cheating on her, so now she can move on. It's Mm -hmm. wild. But that is almost universally what you see in these stories of especially a young widow. Yeah. 
where the husband died, and he then we find out he died doing something nefarious. He was cheating on her. He had spent all of their money. He had done, you know, some. He was a he was a child molester. Like some terrible thing had mm. to happen, so that she can then feel like she can have another relationship, which is wild. In this case, the man that she loved died in a concentration camp trying to escape. That sounds correct, right? Because <laughs> like, we find out he did in fact escape. And yeah, that wasn't so usual. Normally, you'd be killed in that act. Um, and she, that's the man that she knew. Like, that that checks out. Right. And what she does is she goes to Paris, and she lives her life, and she meets this man who she falls in love with. And that's fine. Right. Except he did not die. Oops. Right. And she finds this out just before they're just supposed to leave Just before together. they're supposed to leave together. Like, literally two days before right. or something like that. Um, so what is she supposed to do? What does she do here? She has to make a choice. She could bet on the fact that Laszlo is going to die in, in all of this and go with Rick, mm-hmm. but she made a commitment. She made a legal binding commitment. Right. And it's not like she doesn't have feelings. And she, you're right. And, and Laszlo's a good man. Right. Like he's not abusive. I mean, he's he's a- not... He's, he's almost too good yeah. in some ways. And he's I think really trying to get himself killed. But. He's also... He, Laszlo comes across to me as a man who is very devoted to the cause and will probably... I don't know what the story is beyond this. Will probably be a martyr. If not, he's he's going to... He's committed towards that kind of end if necessary. Right. And so I and feel... And he, he was not doing well out, outside of Paris right. when she finds out about him. So when she leaves Rick, she goes to nurse him back to health, right, exactly. basically. Because he's been in a concentration camp for 18 months. And he's also on the run. And he, he's on the run. He cannot right. even And you know they shot him. I'm sure he has bullets. He's got a scar, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. I, I noticed um, in the full light mm-hmm. of, like, the bar, mm-hmm. you almost can't see the scar. You can only really see it. When he's in shadow, like when they're having this conversation, right. um, and when he and Rick have a conversation earlier and later, then you see this scar over his eye. Mm-hmm. But like in the full light, you almost can't see it at all, right. which is an interesting choice. Um, but yeah, so she goes and she tells Rick all of that, and Rick immediately is like, I'm sorry, I did what I said. I said what I did. I'm sorry. <laughs> that sucks. Right. So Rick has initially has the waiter carry, you know, take take a taking uh Ingrid. I keep wanting to call her Ingrid. That's away. fine. Her name is Elsa. Elsa. Um and the police uh, the police wind up arresting Laszlo. Yes. And well, yeah. So the well, we should say that um as they're having this conversation, and she has broken into his uh, apartment, which is above the bar. Mm-hmm. After he like refuses and refuses and refuses the papers over and over again, she pulls a gun on him, and he's like, "You're fully not going to shoot me." But that is very adorable. <laughs> but then they hear clattering downstairs, mm-hmm. and it is the waiter and Laszlo coming in right. because there are cops out on and the I street. And I love the fact that it's like they're just oh, those two are upstairs alone in his apartments, but. They do, they're not going to discuss that. There's no understanding behind that. I know that Laz, uh, she gets snuck away. Yeah. Um, he so has he Carl take right. take her, and then he talks to Laszlo. Um, and then Laszlo tries again to persuade mm-hmm. 
Rick. Um, and then he's like, you know what? I get it. You don't want to give them to me. Put your name and her name on them and get the hell out of right. here. And and we hear around that this might time be the turning point for Rick too. Yeah, where he's like, oh, he she he he really cares about her. Like uh-huh. he really clearly loves her. It's not about it's not about him. Nothing's mm-hmm. about him. Right. To like a nauseating degree. Sometimes <laughs> nothing is about him, and he wants him to do that. And they start sort of. Although, like, like oh, right around this time, we start hearing that Rick can't go to, can't go back to his home country. Mm-hmm. We can't go to America. We don't know why, <laughs> and we don't ever find out. <laughs> so, um, that's always that's very interesting to me. Um, but then, uh, he refuses, or he's. I think he kind of. He says, "We'll, we'll talk about it." Like. We're getting closer, but you need to go for now. And then, yeah, then Leslie was arrested. And then, and then a little tiny, weird, sort of a heist, like a little con situation goes into play. Um, so, yeah, tell me. So, what uh, happens after that is that he, Rick, gets Laszlo off the hook by telling Renault, I will set him up for something bigger than what you would have him for attending a meeting. I mean, what is that's not going to stick. No. So we'll be able to get him for something much bigger than this. I will set it up. Come here on this particular, you know. And that thing is the possession of these letters. Right. So <laughs> we're going to do that, and you can set him up for murdering. And I'm going to, I'm run off with this woman. And yeah. that's something that Reno understands. It's like, oh, sexual blackmail. I'm, uh, I'm in. You're speaking my language. Right. Gross. So when he does arrive, Reno, it's Rick holding him at gunpoint. We should say, mm-hmm. we see Rick sell his bar right to to Sydney Greenstreet, right. the owner of the Blue Parrot. So now he's going to get Sam mm-hmm. too. He's and he makes and we see him making stipulations. Everybody needs to get paid the same. Like right. he takes care of his employees, but he sells that bar because he is making every he's making everyone believe that he is right. Getting the and fuck Sam out. And Sam gets a great cut out of this too. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And then yeah, and then Renault shows up and Rick pulls a gun and is like, "So that's not. You're gonna help us, right?" Um. And he says to tell. I think he he tells him to call somebody. And then he calls a different somebody. Renault calls Strasser. Renault calls Strasser and just like kind of yells something so nondescript that Strasser's like, some shit's going down. (laughs) Like, why would he call me and say that? Um, Oh, I think he's he's supposed to be calling the uh, airport Mm -hmm. to say they're coming or whatever. And he calls Strasser and says that. And then Strasser like, gets in his car and drives to the airport because he's like, some shit yeah. is going down. What shit? Unsure. But I'm going to go check it out. Uh, and then he, he, Rick and Laszlo and Ilsa and Renault are all at the airport. And Rick says, fill out their names. In fact, you do it. 
I, I, he has because Reno, really? it's Renault's handwriting that actually would even make the, this icing on the cake. Put Victor's name on there and Lazo or and uh, Elsa's Elsa. name on there, and everyone is like, "I'm sorry, what?" <laughs> and uh, yeah, and that's when she like is is surprised and uh, because she was w- willing to go with him, like mm. she wasn't. She, I think she was like, this is kind of second best because I am breaking my wedding vows. Right. But I love this man, yes. so it's not all bad. Well, and she loves him again in a way that she doesn't, she can't, doesn't feel about Laszlo the same way. Right. Yes. No. They don't have the same right passion, as you said before. I guess that is the word. Um, Mostly, maybe because Laszlo's passion is for the people, and he doesn't have enough. And again, Laszlo is—he's really jonesing to get himself killed, and I think that's he really. Thing. That is the, the other thing that, is that we don't as much as nothing see, is about really. Laszlo in uh-huh. their relationship. Everything is about Laszlo. Right. It's the decision that he's going to make, that and will... he's not going. Well, I have this woman that mm-hmm. I care about that I want to protect and want to see happy. That's one person versus the entirety of the European population, I guess. And, also, and he's just like, sorry, babe. Rick just loves her. And Rick is And there. literally, that's it. Right. <laughs> he doesn't it's... love anything else. There's her and there's Sam. He loves Sam. Right. He does love Sam, I think. But, but he takes, like you said, he's he is, the relationship that they have is the, the love match, so to speak, of the film. Right. And yeah. when he sends her away is when she gets even more tear acting. Yeah, yeah. And, and she because she feels like she's being rejected, right. which is wild. Like, and then bitch, he tells he is saving right. your life and your husband's life. Like this is the, this is the least for Rick action that right. Rick has ever done. And he tells Laszlo a story um, about oh well, your wife came over and tried to convince me to get... That's right. With her womanly ways, and right. I let her... I let her convince me, or whatever. I let her... Yeah. Which is a lie. Right. I mean, she probably would have slept with him for the papers, but she did not do... Like, that's not what right. happened. It's that she pulled a gun on him. <laughs> so... <laughs> and yeah. he's like, I understand. Just like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna question that. That's we're on our way out. You've just signed, you know, you've had the paper signed. You put yourself at risk. You cannot go back to your, you know. He now understands how much Rick is sacrificing. Yeah, Rick is sacrificing his whole existence here too. He really did sell that bar. Um, and then you know we get the famous line: "You wouldn't, you were not gonna regret it. Maybe you're gonna regret. You'd regret it if you and I left together. You would regret it. Maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. But." Soon and for the rest of your life. And then Strasser comes up, like the freaking Wicked Witch of the West. Right. And uh, when he won't fucking stand right. down, yeah. this is Rick Elsa shoots and, him. Elsa and uh, Laszlo have gotten on the airplane. They're on the plane, yeah. They're on their way out. He's going to call the control tower and just say, stop them. Stop them, right. And Rick shoots him dead. Rick shoots him dead. <laughs> it, right in front of Renault. Right. Who at that point calls his people, because he's the constabulatory, consta- right. or constant. yeah, he's the, he's the head cop, even though he's the most fucking corrupt person you've ever seen in your life. And he's like, uh, Strasser's been killed. 
round up the usual suspects. <laughs> Which is exactly so what happened at the beginning. Yeah. In this movie. And even though he knows exactly who yeah. shot him, because he fucking watched it happen, and that's because uh, he didn't like Strauss. He yeah. was a dick. And he didn't want to be beholden to him. He also, as you said, is the guy who's like, I will go along with the Vichy government. At one point, he rejects Vichy water. It's like, I don't want to deal with that at all. And he does it in a very sort of funny and self-deprecating way Uh when he is declining these things that are required of him. But yeah, he's. You can tell he's on his last legs. He, he's like, I can't. He's waiting for. And when he needs Rick an out. The big move. He's like, okay, I'm with this guy. Yeah. And yeah. that's how the film ends. They go yeah. walking down this this runway, and they're they're planning to go off and fight the war together. They're going to so, be- uh, join the Free French in Brazzaville. Right. And then there's the famous last line, Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship, which is not what was filmed on the day. Mm. That was dubbed in later. Oh, here we go. To make Rick's motivation more believable, uh, the screenwriters decided to set the film before the attack on Pearl Harbor. So this is December 1st, 2nd, 3rd, or something like that. Oh, the line was, uh, Louis, I I might have known you'd mix your patriotism with a little larceny. Larceny, that's what it was. Yeah, so it's a joke. It's right. a similar to the things that they've been saying to each other the whole time. Right. Um, but this one works better, yes, I think. Yes, it does. Um, because it elevates them, because before they were kind of both a little bit crooked. Yeah, and, and it also softens Rick. Like, right. he's... Some of the big wall that he had put up after he after Elsa left him in right. Paris is starting to come down. Like, he's returning to whatever former version of himself there was, who is probably still pretty pragmatic, pretty, you know, stays um, on the margins and stays neutral as much as possible, but sides with the underdog always, right? Like, and that she, that brought, was brought back out of him by this two days that they, <laughs> that they had together again. Um, so, yeah, so that's the end of the movie. It's foggy. There's a hill of beans thing. He says, here's looking at your kid four times to her. It's not in the script even once. It's something that Bogart said to Ingrid Bergman um, on set mm. breaks, which I think is adorable. Um, AFI loves the hell out of this movie. This is number two in the 100 Years 100 movies. This is number 37 in the 100 Years 100 thrills. It's uh, number one in the 100 Years 100 Passions. It's number four in the Heroes for Rick. And Strasser was nominated for Villain, but doesn't make the list. Uh, it's number two in the 100 Years number 100 Songs. It's number five, 20, 28, 32, 43, and 67 in the yes. 100 Years 100 Movie Quotes from... Number five is here. Look, here's looking at you, kid. Number twenty is Louis. I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Uh, Twenty-eight is play it, Sam. Play as time goes by. Ironically, the thing that is constantly misquoted. Thirty-two is round up the usual suspects, which is said really twice: once at the beginning and once at the end. Uh, Forty-three is we'll always have Paris, which is I think maybe the thing that lasts the longest from this because. That is a construction that I hear all the time and didn't realize it was from mm. this. Um, and then of all the gingerants and all the towns and all the world, she walks into mine. 
Uh, that's the most of any film. There are six lines in that film, and that's the most that that list got. It's number 32 in 100 Years, 100 Cheers, and it's number three in the 100 Years, 100 Movies, 10th Anniversary Edition, so it lost a step there. But AFI loves this fucking movie, even though I'm going to argue it's not an American film, is it? I mean... Well, it's made here, and it's made by Warner Brothers. So it's, it's made by much, Warner Brothers. But the is not America. Warner, yes, and it has almost no Americans in it. Right. Humphrey Bogart... Um, Julie Wilson and one other person. I think it's like I don't know. I can't remember. But that's there's only three Americans in the in the main listed um, people. Right. Bergman is Swedish. Uh, Paul Henry, who plays Laszlo, is Austrian. Claude Rains is British? Yes. Uh, Viet is German. Mm-hmm. And Sidney Greenstreet and Peter Laurie are both British. So, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, and which makes sense because mm-hmm. you're talking about a place um, of refugees from right. Europe. Like, yes. this, no, this, this would be apt. mostly non Americans in this location, for sure. I really love... I mean, there's the, the lines that are really familiar with the film, his whole speech at the end, uh, of course, is one that gets commemorated, but there's so many funny throwaway lines in here. Um, what brought you to Casablanca? My health. I came to Casablanca for the waters. The waters? What waters were in the desert? I was misinformed. <laughs> I was misinformed. It's legitimately funny. Right. Uh, is it thrilling? I think it is in that it does screw up the suspense. I think so, too. I, when there's this many Nazis running around looking for somebody, and right. like I said, the whole time I'm like, they could just poison him. And at one point, the Germans do straight threaten right. Laszlo's life, but not to Laszlo, and not to Rick, to Ilsa. Right. Like, get your man under mm. control. We will be killing him shortly. Uh, and she's like, we gotta go. <laughs> um, yeah, so there is that. And what else do you have want to say about it? I think that... I also like that uh, Humphrey Bogart is actually two inches shorter right. than Ingrid Bergman, which caused an issue with filming, but I, there's it was overcome. There's a really overcome. funny picture of them talking where he's wearing his shoes. Some lifts, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that this film, when I saw it again, to the last time I saw this was a uh, was for a screenwriting class, and our teacher was like, "No, this is one of the best written movies ever." And listening to it again this time, I'm like, "Yes, this is one of the best written movies ever," because we can see uh, any number of films. I, I think what where that comes from, by the way, is. The fact that it was a written play, an unpub- uh, unproduced play. Unproduced play, yeah. And then it was adapted by two of the best screenwriters who ever were. Fair, fair. And it was also adapted by, worked on by a third gentleman who was, who'd worked with the Mercury Theater. And who were those uh, screenwriters? Uh, let's give yeah, them James, some... Uh, let's see. I want to be able to get this right. Um, okay, so the original writers of the play were Murray Bennett and Joan Allison. Right? 
Uh, Julius and Philip Epstein were two uh, brothers who worked on the first draft. They're twins. Um, and then Howard Koch, who worked with the Mercury Theater at one point. Okay. And uh, those sources gave it like this wealth of really smart aleck dialogue. Yeah. What is your citizenship? I'm a drunkard. Oh, the nearest citizen of the world. Citizen of the world, That's, yeah. There's just like really funny stuff going on in the background and that's part of Rick's charm because he could be very gloomy in this part but instead he's just very quick witted he's very sharp and yeah, he he's not, all of their he's miserable uh-huh, but he is attacks. not wallowing in misery no. like he's not drinking himself into oblivion every night until she shows up right <laughs> and then he kind of is um, not kind of, he is. He starts drinking, basically, when mm. this movie starts. Uh, likely because he knows a drink when he is maudlin makes him more maudlin, <laughs> like me, and so we don't do that. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, but he's so he, and he's all, he's got a sense of humor. Like, mm-hmm. this is just a man with a sense of humor, right. and so he but still has that, that sense his, of humor. His past, the character's past, he has learned to deflect everything with his sense of humor so that no one identifies just how big a threat he could be. Right, no, of course. Yeah, yeah because he is also constantly sort of self-deprecating and sort right. of self, sort of just slight. He doesn't want, he wants to be as successful as mm-hmm. successful, you know, he wants to make sure he's taken care of and the people he cares about are taken care of. Right. But he doesn't want to bring a lot of extra attention to himself. Anything to mm-hmm. himself, yeah. Um, but that's also not even entirely true because everyone goes to Rex. Right. You have made yourself the center of... I think that... I, I almost <laughs> feel like that was by accident that it became as successful as it was. Maybe. Because... He just runs a good business. Right. His his employees are and cared for. Sam is there. And There's, Sam it's pulls fa- the It's fair night. enough in the back room that right. people feel like they can gamble and not get to, you know taken advantage of. Like, yeah. He just runs like he's a good business person, and that then the business booms because oops, that's what happened. And that's why everyone wants to have a drink with him, but he's reclusive enough to not drink with. He the, doesn't drink with the, uh, the, the the customers, and so I feel almost as if he's he succeeded almost despite his best efforts to just sort of like lay low. Yeah, he just can't lay low. Nope, he's not he, his. He also has. Like his ta- the talent, the the singers, right. both well, Sam. Like that's the other thing. There's a lot of music in this. Yeah. Like it's almost a musical. Yeah. There is a music break five or six times during this during this yeah. movie. I was like, they're singing again a whole song. There's a house band. <laughs> There's a house that's band. That's one of the, the 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 points of contention with the Germans and the French. Is yes. that there are people there playing and. And there's a woman with a guitar whose name escapes me as well. Uh, but there's yeah, so no, many... Yeah, she's really good, though, too. She's Spanish. Spanish. Lady. There's so many characters in this film and so many... Uh... God, yeah, it's this is... There are people who think the film is great because it is a great example of house-style filmmaking for the time. Like, this is the best that Warner Brothers had. It was the best talent they had. It was... And, uh, 
looking at um Karina Mura, cabaret singer actress. Wow. Yeah. Looking at the uh the people, the talented people involved in this film, you can say, oh yeah, th- there was all sorts of issues with the making of the film, and there was issues with choosing the director and the writer, but mm-hmm. when you have this level of talent just down the line, then it can become amazing. It was, yes, the ending was improvised, it was re-edited, it was re but they really, people who devoted their entire their time to making this the best thing they possibly could. Yeah. And it does it winds up being just And just and giving everybody right. fully understandable motivations. Right, exactly. Like even if you don't agree with the motivations, you mm-hmm. get it. Yeah. I mean we've had <sighs> okay, Except the so Nazis. This is the dramatic <laughs> film, right? A dramatic film. And we've talked about I don't know how many movies over the course of even this particular segment, but we in the past, that's what we talk about mostly. And as we've talked about this film, we've delved, this and also Notorious recently, yeah. delved more into having complex characters as the leads in a movie than we generally did talking about some of the other films that right. we mentioned in the past. Because these characters have their own motivations and their own strengths and their own weaknesses. And so when Rick finally stands up for what he's known all along to be the right thing to do. In this film, you feel something for him. Because it's like, he's doing it. He's living up to his potential. And one of the um, comments I was reading about this film was that to a wartime audience in 1942, this was important to go, oh no, we have to join this fight now. It's gone too far. Yeah. Which... I mean, it makes sense, especially given the time. And I right. think the, the the reason that they... To sort of give purity to Rick's final right. choices, you said it before, Pearl Harbor. Right. I wish they had been more explicit. Because like I said, I was like, when in December? When in December? When it, it matters. Mm. He's American. Right. Even if he can't ever return to America, he's American. And they do have that scene And where Pearl Harbor would matter to him. His, he has a line with uh, Renault. I've often speculated why he didn't return to America. Did you abscond with the church funds, run off with the senator's wife? I'd like to think he killed the man. It's the romantic in me. And it's Rick the romantic goes, in me, that's right, yeah. It was a combination of all three. It's like that's the kind of flippant line that he... Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. He's really funny in this film, and he's really well-written, and Humphrey Bogart pulls that off really well. Yeah. It's... Not to mention, I mean, there's also a really a funny subtext where... Renault is really obviously just like he wants to be Rick's best friend. He wants everybody wants to be Rick's best friend right. though. To Ugarte, right. Peter Lorre at the beginning desperately wants to be Rick's. But best he says friend. something to Ingrid Lay or to to Ilsa where he says, "I can't remember the exact line, but he's you know if I was a woman and I wasn't around, I'd be in love with him." And that's like both a compliment and more of. Louis' kind of uh, self-aggrandizing yeah. kind of... Yeah. It's like, yeah, he's a great second to me, by the way, beautiful woman. <laughs> I mean, there are, there are things... And there are... Th- the writing is so sharp that you just get things right, without exactly. having to have all of this background. Like, when Rick is putting off this woman that he's seeing, Yvonne, mm-hmm. right? 
What? This is like the first thing we hear him say. Right. She says, where were you last night? He says, that's so long ago, I don't remember. And she says, will I see you tonight? And he says, I'd never make plans that far in right. advance. That tells you <laughs> and I'm know. like, that's a fuckboy. Yeah. <laughs> like, get out of there, Yvonne. He's done. He is not texting right. you anymore. <laughs> but again, it's not like you didn't know that going into no, this No, but like, right, exactly. But that, just that, you're just like, right. gotcha. That right. is, and that's literally like the first words we hear him say. Yeah. And then um, when Renal has to close down Rick's, he mm-hmm. says, on what grounds? And he opens the door. He says, I'm shocked. Shocked to find gambling <laughs> in this establishment. And the croupier brings over a pile of chips and it's like, you're winning, sir. And he's like, oh, thank you, thank you. Everybody out! <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, dude. Every... This pantomime is ridiculous. Everybody knows that you are the most corrupt person well, that he, I've ever He constantly heard. makes comments about why does he attend to Rick's instead of the Blue Parrot? And uh, Renal is like, well, you let me win. <laughs> it's like. Because Rick isn't stupid. Right. <laughs> Uh, he probably doesn't let him win as, as much as he might like, mm-hmm. but he lets him win enough. Right. Uh, yeah, it's. It's very... I'm, I'm really glad to hear that you enjoyed the movie this time around. And then there's like this pickpocket that we keep seeing warning the travelers of the of the, yeah. of the, of the, of the, of the notorious people around that's... and how you have to keep an eye out. And then he definitely just steals their wallets. That's something you don't see a lot in modern movies. You don't have the extended cast of all of these sort of characters. You see it sometimes in comedies now. Yes, but you don't see that there was when everyone was on the payroll. Yeah, they just get just somebody in for a, a bit, yeah, right? Yeah, they got yeah. to do a bit, and that guy, the the pickpocket, was one of them. Yeah, he's just a guy who comes in to do a bit, and then apparently the the bartender, who Sasha, I think is his yeah, name, Sasha. He's Humphrey Bogart's actual real life drinking buddy. Oh, that's funny. And so he just gets to play the bartender, and they're hanging around, and he has a couple of good lines with him too. Yeah. So, yeah. but it's like these things that are just put across to you without all, and there's a lot of backstory, but the movie is an hour and 42 minutes long, right. and you understand every person that's in it. Yes, which is a, a amazing. without having to introduce them three different times right. and like do this whole thing. They just, they pick the right things right. to say, and then that's what they have them say. <laughs> like, it's just, yeah. So, it's really, yeah. It's good. If it's you haven't good. watched it, watch it in a while, mm-hmm. or haven't watched it ever, and you're like, eh, "It's an old movie." I get it. I was there. I was you. I was you a week ago, and I am telling you, it's a legitimately enjoyable movie this to watch. One of those cases where you're like, "This is an old movie," but I want to express to people, this is the old movie. There's a handful of them that are just, and we're going to be seeing another one soon. Yeah, a movie that just sort of transcends when it was made yeah. and is crazy, but it's like yes, it's again like watching Citizen Kane, like watching. There's a couple of others that just overwhelm me with. Why aren't all movies as good as this? Yeah, yeah, it's good. You laugh, you might cry. Right. Uh you'll you'll be thrilled when the German gets shot or the, the Nazi gets shot. Let me be specific. It's not because he's a German. It's, it's because he's a Nazi. Um, yeah, no, it's really, it's, it's really, really good. 
All right. Next week, we are going to talk about Bullet. Bullet. A movie named not after a thing, but a person. That is the main characters. And this is another, like, this film was really one of the seminal movies of the 40s. This is one of the seminal action movies. Probably the first, one of the first modern day action movies. Because there were, we've seen films like Robin Hood and. These sort of period piece. Yeah, no, this set is... Set abroad. This is it. And we've seen Dirty Harry, which was 10 years or so Later, on from right. But this was one of the, if not the very first, kind of the move from film noir, kind of shadowy, dark films, although it has elements of that, into does, yeah. modern action hero. Yeah. This is the beginning of Clint Eastwood's films. This is the beginning of Charles Bronson's films. This is the beginning of that whole... Kind of all the action way movies, right? Weapon through Fast and Furious, oh, oh a lot to this. Oh, movie. lots of this movie, yeah. So that's what we're gonna watch next week from 1968, starring Steve McQueen. Mm-hmm. He's cool. weirdly blonde. I always think it's weird that he's blonde. I don't know why. I can't. I don't know why. Uh, until then, mm-hmm. do you have anything that you'd like to recommend? I have something I'd like. To why don't you go first? I'm gonna recommend a movie that has. A lot of the same things that this movie has. Oh, really? That you made me watch. It's called Yakuza. Oh, yes. So you made me watch a movie called Yakuza, which mm-hmm. is, uh, is a 1978, Eight, I, I so. believe, film starring Robert Mitchum, who we're going to see in Night of the Hunter at the end of this month. Mm-hmm. A few years on, 25 years right. later than that film. Um and there are some stunning similarities between the things that happen in that film right. or to those characters and the things that happen to the characters in Casablanca. Right. I'm not going to go into more, too much more detail than that, but it takes place. It, it, it's almost like if this film had a sequel 25 years later. Yes, it's similar. That's one of the reasons I like it. <laughs> yeah. the, the fact that it feels like. We were talking, the first film is about what happens when the Germans are rolling in. Yeah. And we have to sort of fight them and resist. And this is now years after the Second World War, and it's set in Japan. Set in Japan. So we're on the other right. side. But it is about a man who falls in love with a Japanese woman while stationed in Japan after the war. It's not mm-hmm. during the war, it's after the war. Um to be sort of rousted when her brother, uh-huh. uh, who had been presumed dead for a long time, comes out of the jungle after six years after thinking that they had, were still in the war and they had right. not been. Um, and he comes out to an American, um, uh, what's the word? Um, Occupying occupation course, right. of, yes, an American occupation of Japan. Um, and basically uh, shuts down that relationship. And right. then uh, and that's Robert Mitchum's relationship with his sister Eiko. Uh, and now he has, now Robert Mitchum, and then he also, and then he becomes Yakuza. Mm-hmm. And then Robert Mitchum has a friend who is um, threatened by another Yakuza and so goes to Japan to sort of see if he can mitigate. Right. Calling on this Margarita Ca- because I saved your sister. I saved your sister, yeah. And but there are twists and turns, and right. you find out different things about those relationships um, that are, like I said, eerily similar to right. the movie the, to Casablanca. Um, it's way more violent than Casablanca, everybody. Um, <laughs> so be aware there. There is a scene 
where one person is about to fire a gun and has his hand chopped off, and that hand, while flying through the air, unattached to a body, fires a gun, and it's the most Quentin Tarantino-ass shit I've ever seen, and it wasn't in a Quentin Tarantino no. movie. And there, so it's it's violent. There is there is visceral right violence in it's this movie. The let's just a second. I want to make sure I get his name just right. It is a. Um, I'm sorry, 1974. It was oh, is it earlier? Yes, the Yakuza. Oh, and it's. Directed by Sidney Pollack, everybody. And when we're talking about writers, it's written by Paul Schrader. Yes. And Robert Town. Yes. Who later on went on to, we'll see, he wrote um, Chinatown. Right. And Paul Schrader wrote Taxi Driver and and all sorts of things. It's just like, it's a very, this is a film with bona fides. Yes. Um, uh, and um, the story was by a Leonard Schrader, who's Paul Schrader's brother, who uh-huh. was stationed in, in Japan. Japan after the war. So And so his story is about how... Because and, and, really, the film is about watching um, Robert Mitchum's character gets mixed up with the Yakuza because his friend has dealings with them in Japan. Yes. His friend had dealings with Yakuza right after the, the uh, war. Yeah. And so But he, he he he's he's being misinformed as to the depths of certain things. Like there's a lot of twistiness in the story. Mm-hmm. I don't want to talk about it too right. much other than to say that it is it is compelling all the way through. Mitchum is great. Right. Um I think this is the oldest I've ever seen him uh-huh. in a in a thing. I'm used to seeing him in the fifties right. version of himself, not the seventies version of himself. Um, and I didn't know what to expect. He's so good. And, um, yeah, and Ken Takakura. Ken Takakura. Takakura is a guy who did a lot of. He, I was explaining to you, him to you as like, he's the opposite of Mufune. Mufune did a lot of what Bruce Lee copied, which is exploding all the time. Mufune is constantly like he's. This he's, dude is like. He is so chill. Yeah. And that is his scary thing, because when he goes into action, he still doesn't break. You know, that was Mufuni's thing is to blow up. And that was also Bruce Lee's thing. It's like he's a tightly wound spring, and then he just unwinds. Ken Takakura, his whole thing from the films I've seen, too, is that he is like... He's very much like what we see later on in Bullet, which is just this guy who's... You can't read him. What's yeah, he up to? No. What's he thinking? Mm-hmm. And he does a lot of eye acting where it's like he's up to something. What is he up to? Yeah. It's it was really interesting. You'd recorded mm-hmm. it a while ago and we watched it this weekend. Right. Um and I really I liked it beginning to end. I'm I glad was you did. I was engaged, um, and I think it's really good. It was on T uh TCM. TCM. So I'm not sure I'll look up where it's available and you can check the show notes. I've put it down there. No. So we're going to be watching Bullet. Is that that we recorded that from TCM also? I believe so. Yeah. And so, uh, but yeah, because one of my friend today was like, well, Yes, because she was wearing movies? the same sweater. Mm, right. <laughs> the TCM lady was wearing the same sweater when we were watching Yakuza right. as she was when she was talking about Bullet. So they just filmed a bunch of these on the same day, I'm guessing. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I don't expect her to change. That's fine. It's just we had watched them so close together that I was like, "Wait, well, I just saw her in this outfit." Because I also remember really liking her makeup, and I said it out loud. Um. So. Uh. Yeah, it looks like it's a red box rental right now. Um, bullet is okay. Um, were you gonna? Did you have something? No, you know what? That's a that that's a good example. Just that one. That's that's a good example of filmmaking right there and yes i would recommend that okay cool all right well that's gonna do it next week watch 1968's bullet get us get a sense of our uh our lovely city that we live across the water from um and yeah the room room the 11 minute Uh car chase scene which if you can catch us on tcm before it they will air a 15 minute right um documentary about the making of the car chase uh, because really become, this is really the first right. car chase it really it, it gives you a sense of how incredibly dangerous it was to even shoot this scene the documentary footage showing a driver or basically a person a camera operator in the back of an open vehicle <laughs> when i saw the picture of him just in that corvette just uh-huh. out with the camera, I'm just like, this is... They are literally driving 100 miles an hour, and this guy's essentially in the open trunk yeah. of the car. That and was... they made one of the stunt drivers an actor in the film because they were out of perfect, like good right. stunt drivers. They had the three that there were. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all. <laughs> 1968. All right. So we're going to watch that next week. Until then, if you have questions or comments or concerns, you can email us at latecomerspod at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook uh, by searching for Latecomers Podcast in the search bar, or you can find us on Twitter while it lasts at Latecomers Pod. Uh-huh. I'd like to remind you to please take your medicine and take care of yourself. Yes. We would like you. to remind you better, better late than, than never. never.